Well, Pekka, harvesting wheat. I'm the grandson of a Kansas wheat farmer, and it's just a little incongruent to me. We used to work during harvest, and then we came to Minnesota for vacation. I'm going to tell him he's a little confused. My privilege this morning is to introduce our speaker, who's going to bring us to the word. Uh, oh, yes, don't Children's Church, almost forgot. Yes, thank you, Steve. Children's Church, you're dismissed. There it is up on the thing. There they all go. Have fun. There goes Trev. All right. Now we can get back to that introduction. Uh, Dave Nell has uh, been with us before in the capacity of his work with Awana, but he has made a switch. He is now working with New Thousand Two Thousand. It's a ministry to the persecuted Christians. Uh, I'm sure he'll tell us a little bit about that in the process, but his base objective this morning is to bring us the Word of God. So with that, Dave, Dave, yep. there you are. <laughs> Come on up. Thank you. It is a joy to be here again. Um, I was here several years ago. I think I've actually spoke here twice before when I was with Child Evangelism Fellowship. And um, God was working in my heart about three years ago on the body of Christ. And in particular, how do we minister as the body of Christ? How do we find unity within the body of Christ? And how could I encourage and promote the body of Christ? That song, O Church Arise, is just a beautiful song. I would love for the church to be able to recognize herself as the bride of Christ. Because until we realize what a special place we hold, individually and corporately, in God's eyes, we will not be all that God has called us to be. I do work with the persecuted, and I appreciate the way that that was said. I work with persecuted believers. I used to say we are a ministry to and for the persecuted church, but we're all one church. And if they're being persecuted, so are we. I was driving to a church to speak one morning, and it hit me this way. If, if you look around the, the sanctuary and you see a family that has young children, and if that family had their young children kidnapped from them and being held for ransom or possibly being held without them knowing where they are, as a body of believers, you would come together and you would pray for that family, probably daily. You would lift that young couple up in prayer that their ch children would be returned safely to them. You know, daily that's happening in Egypt, in Jordan, in Morocco, in Mauritania, in countries around the world where Christians are 3% of the population or 1% of the population. And those are our brothers and sisters that we need to be praying for and lifting up in prayer. And I'll talk a little bit more about 
the persecuted and some of the people that I've met over there. I have traveled three times now um, to the Middle East and North Africa, and I have met some of the most amazing people and heard some of the most amazing stories. And I'll, I'll share some of them in a little bit. But first, I want to open God's word. We're going to look at Ephesians 4 this morning. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, starting with verse 1 through 3, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 11. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then if we go down to verse 11, Paul continues, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that our hearts, our minds, our ears are open to what you have for us today. I pray that my words would be your words, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you would fill this place with your spirit. Thank you for this church in Buffalo, Lord, that has a passion for ministry and understanding of mission and a desire to reach those around them. And I just pray that you continue to bless this church as you have in the past. In your precious name, amen. That last verse where it talks about the body of Christ and when each part is working properly, um, as many of you can see, I had, I had problems with my shoulder recently. I actually had a total shoulder replacement about three weeks ago. And when one part of the body is not working the way that it should, it affects the entire body. When my arm started to get sore and I couldn't move it as well as I wanted to, I would overcompensate by using my left arm. When I'm in a sling, now I'm using my left hand for everything, and that's really difficult. When one part of the body is not acting the way that it is meant to act, the entire body suffers. In Ephesians 4, Paul is trying to tell them, listen, you're the body of Christ. You need to find your place. You need to be worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life. <clears throat> when I was in the Middle East this past, uh, last fall, I was in Egypt, and uh, 
I was with a pastor there. His name is Jack. We call him Pastor Jack. He, uh, he was, we were driving through Cairo, and he was explaining to me his thoughts on the Christian life. And I want to use that in order to talk about Ephesians 4. You see, Jack breaks up life into basically three stages, the Christian life. The first stage is from the time you were born until you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. During that time, you are separated from God. You don't know him. The Bible is foolish to those who don't know God. So during that time from birth until you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are separated from God and it requires someone from within the body of Christ to share the gospel with you. It requires someone from within the body to pour into your life and explain God's word to you so that you can know and understand that there is a heavenly father that loves you dearly and that Jesus Christ died upon the cross for the sins that you have committed and that one day you could be in heaven if you're willing to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you see, it requires someone from within the body to reach out and share that with you. Very few people have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by just picking up the word of God and reading it on their own or through dreams and visions or through maybe hearing a message on television or the radio. While that might get them started, it usually requires someone to reach into their lives and share the gospel with them, to explain God's word to them. And I will tell you, I was born and raised Baptist. And in 54 years of my life, I had never met anyone who had dreams and visions. And last fall, while I was traveling and meeting with refugees in Jordan, I met five different people. I wasn't asking them, but as they told me their testimony, they shared with me five different people that they had had a dream of Jesus Christ coming to them and putting his hand on them or standing in front of them and they felt his love and his presence and they understood that they had to find out more about this man. But they still had to go to a believer and ask. Even though God is working miraculous things in Muslims, in the Middle East, in North Africa, through dreams and visions, it still requires the body of Christ to get into that uncomfortable place and share the gospel. Pastor Jack goes on to talk about the second phase in a believer's life. The second phase is once you've received Jesus as your Savior, now you need to grow in your faith. You need to understand what God's word is. You need to learn about the promises that are within it. You need to be held accountable for your actions. And sometimes it takes someone within the body of Christ to nudge you a little bit if you're doing things that don't quite conform with the Christian walk. During that second stage, it still requires someone from within the body of Christ to pour into your life, to be a mentor to you, to help disciple you, to help you understand God's word so that you can grow to maturity in your faith. And then there's the third stage in a Christian's life. 
The third stage Pastor Jack describes as when you are mature in Christ. Now, we're always all growing. We're always learning more about God's word. That never ends. But there does come a time when someone within the church might say, would you be willing to lead Sunday school? Would you be willing to take a Sunday morning and preach? Would you be willing to lead VBS or youth group? Would you be willing to be a counselor at camp? And you realize then that God has fulfilled in you growth that has allowed you now to become one of those who is pouring into others. And people around you will recognize that. People around you will start asking you, would you be willing to do this? The question becomes, will you be willing to say yes? Will you be willing to be worthy of the calling that's been placed on your life? And I know many of you are. You're involved in the church. You're involved in community outreach. You're involved in Awanas or whatever. I understand that, and I praise you for that. That's wonderful. But I want to encourage us as the church to be the church that God has called us to be. Because in those first two stages of life, your responsibilities are very small. And many of us get stuck in that second stage where we keep growing. We keep coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays to be poured into, to hear the pastor speak. But we don't get to the third stage where we are now pouring into the unbelievers, where we are now pouring into the new believers, where we are sharing God's word freely to help grow the body of Christ. I want to read that verse 11 again because it's important. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, the Sunday school teachers, the VBS workers, the missionaries, the Wednesday night youth leaders. Why did he give them to us? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, we all have been blessed with gifts that have been given to us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, for sure, but also within your own life experience, you have been blessed in certain ways. Maybe it's in administrative abilities. Maybe it's in hospitality. Maybe it's in being really good at math, which I will tell you is not a gift. <laughs> but there are things that each one of us have been blessed with through our life experiences, and God has allowed those things to refine you and prepare you for the ministry that you can do within the body. Just because you're gifted at administration doesn't mean that you should take a job in a Fortune 500 company and make as much money as you can. God has blessed you with that gift to bless the body of Christ. Use what God has given you. Find your place within the body of Christ, what you're good at and love to do. Because I don't think God would put you in a place that you just hate going to. And if you do hate going to it, I think he will change your heart. I really do. 
I never saw myself going to the Middle East and North Africa. My wife and I had traveled to Canada uh, prior to two years ago. And now I've been in some of the places where um, the people walking around with machine guns would be called terrorists. But they are the authority in that area. People have asked me, and Barb, did you feel any fear while you were over there? And we really didn't. God gave us a peace within our heart. And uh, he will bless you when, you've, when you're in the center of God's will. That's where you're meant to be. And then verse 15 and 16, again, there's a promise there that God makes to us through his word, through the words of Paul. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ's prayer, right before he went to the cross, was for unity of the body, for the believers that were to come, as well as those who he had worked with. And he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. He prayed that we would be united, just as Christ is in the Father, so we, the church, would be in him and in the Father. And his prayer went one step further. His prayer was that we would be one so that the world would know that he was sent by the Father. When I read that prayer, every time I read that prayer now, it strikes me. How are we doing with that? Does the world realize that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father? Is it because we haven't grasped the concept that Jesus prayed for us, that we are one, the body of Christ, the believers around the world are the beautiful bride of Christ? And when we take our place in the world as the bride of Christ, Jesus' prayer was that we would be one so that the world would know that he was sent by the Father. My mission, my goal when I speak in churches is to raise prayer awareness for the persecuted. It's to let you know some of the stories of individuals in the countries where I have gone so that you can pray for them. And not just for them, but for all the believers like them. Because I think in praying for them, you become one with them. You start to understand what their fears are, what their anxieties are, what they are living through day in and day out. You'll also understand what their joy is in staying faithful to their faith, strong in their belief in Jesus Christ, despite the persecution. We have a, we have a prayer letter that we send out, and I tell churches, 
This is not a plea for money. This is truly a prayer letter. Within it, we send it out monthly, our stories of persecuted people today and what they are living through. And I put out clipboards. I think there's two in each section and maybe only one on this side. And if you are interested in receiving a prayer letter, I would ask that you sign up for this. Some of the stories are hard to read. Some will bring tears to your eyes. But these are people that you can pray for within the body of Christ. This is what's going on around the world, primarily in North Africa and the Middle East for our ministry. But this tells you how you can pray for individuals. Um, Dr. Pat started this ministry about 34 years ago. Originally, she worked with Brother Andrew, who was God's smuggler, and she helped smuggle Bibles in behind the Iron Curtain. And then as he shifted his ministry more to working in the Middle East, she also did, but she started her own ministry. And for 34 years, she has been asking the people in those countries, how can we pray for you? And in 34 years, she says, not once has anyone asked that the persecution would end. What they ask for is prayer that they would remain strong in their faith and faithful in their commitment to Jesus Christ. That they would not bend or break when the wind of persecution hits them. We can pray for them. It doesn't cost us anything. But I will tell you, two and a half years ago, I began praying for the persecuted. I was the state director in Child Evangelism Fellowship, and I loved what I was doing. I loved the people I worked with. I loved being with the teens during the summer. I loved seeing children brought to Jesus Christ, and I still do. But I started praying for the persecuted. And I will warn you, when you pray, expect God to move but understand that it may be you that he moves. A few stories. Some of the people that I've met. Start with this young couple. <coughs> Sorry. I'll call them Andy. I tried to cover it. I'll call them Andy and Sarah. Andy and Sarah came to Christ through dreams. Andy was actually studying to become a leader in Islam. He... Uh, he was taking classes, he was studying at the mosque, he was becoming a leader in Islam. When Andy had a dream, he dreamt he saw a missionary who he had met before. He met him in a store. But he saw this missionary in his dream and the missionary was holding a book in front of him. And the closer Andy got to the missionary, the more the book was tugging at his heart until it felt like his heart was going to be ripped from his chest. Andy knew the missionary was a Christian. In Islam, dreams are very important to them. But he didn't know who he could talk to about this dream. As coincidence would have it, a few days later he was in the store and the missionary came in. I wouldn't say it was a coincidence. Andy went up to the missionary and explained his dream to him and the man explained what the Bible was and what God's word was. And they began to study God's word together and Andy came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
and he was married to Sarah. She was the wife of someone who was studying to become a leader in Islam. Andy and the missionary began to pray for Sarah that she would come to know Christ, but Andy did not tell his wife that he had converted. He kept meeting with the missionary in secret. A few weeks later, Sarah had a dream. She was laying in a bed, and Jesus was standing at her head, stroking her hair. And she felt great peace, and she wanted to stay with him and be with him. But at her ankle was another person who was hanging onto her ankle and trying to pull her away from Jesus. Sarah woke up in a great sense of courage. Sarah went to her husband, who she believed was studying to become a leader in Islam, and told him her dream. Andy was overjoyed, <laughs> and he shared that he had become a Christian, and he shared with her the gospel message. Because of their faith, Andy's family has cut him out entirely. Their two kids there, I believe, are five and eight, I think. They have never met their grandparents on Andy's side. Even though they only live a few miles away, they have completely shut out Andy from their life. Sarah's parents, thankfully, are a little more understanding, and they continue to meet with them. But because he is a Christian, Andy also cannot find work. It's very difficult if you are labeled as a Christian to find work. And so Andy works basically as a tour guide when he can. He also helps adoptions that take place in Morocco from outside countries. But it's whenever it happens, he can work. When it's not happening, he doesn't work. So pray for Andy and Sarah. Next person is Carlos. Carlos is the gentleman in the middle there. He was studying for the medical profession he was in Mosul in 2014 when ISIS attacked. Because Carlos' father was an invalid, Carlos and his father could not flee, even though many people fled from Mosul at that time. Carlos was captured by ISIS, and for 46 days, Carlos was hung upside down by one leg and let down only to eat and for a few moments rest. For 46 days, Carlos hung upside down, and every day, the people from ISIS would come in and they would tell him, this could all be over for you. All you need to do is reject Jesus Christ and become a Muslim. Carlos refused. After 46 days, the leader of that band said, look, he's not going to convert. Let's just do away with him. So they put him in a car, put a blindfold over him, put him in a car, drove him out to a field. And Carlos says he heard the gun being prepared and placed against his head when the leader's phone rang. And the phone call basically told the leader, look, don't waste a bullet on him. Beat him up. Leave him on the side of the road. He'll die. 
for whatever reason, God intervened. Carlos was left at the side of the road, unconscious. He came to in a room that was white, white walls, white ceiling, and he thought he was in heaven, possibly, when a Catholic nun stepped in front of him and told him that a good Samaritan had come and found him alongside the road and brought him in. Because he had escaped from ISIS, it became an international news, and a doctor in Spain said, look, send him up here, maybe we can save his leg, because at that point they were sure his leg would be amputated. I met Carlos three years later, 2017, four years, 2018, this, this, this spring. His leg is blue from the knee down, but he stands on two legs. He walks, he proclaims Jesus Christ with his mouth. And he believes that he has been blessed by God. Because while now he is a refugee in Jordan, he cannot work because he's a refugee. He is hoping for another country that eventually he can go to. He lives on the assistance given to him by the church and others, but he believes he is blessed by God. And the young lady to the left of him there is his fiance, who he met and is also a refugee in Jordan. Carlos proclaims Christ with his mouth, and he will not swerve in his faith. Pray for Carlos. This is Dr. Adoud. I'll try and be a little more brief. Dr. Adoud was studying to become a doctor also in Mosul. When ISIS came, he fled to the north. When he couldn't find work to feed his family, he went to work for the Red Cross again in Mosul. He said he would look out the window and see the ISIS camp across the river. And he was working with refugee camps around Mosul of people who had fled from other areas. And as he was working in these camps, one day, all of a sudden, um, one of the other workers came up to him and said, I know you, I recognize you. You were a doctor. You're a Christian. Why are you working with these foreigners? We don't want them here, and we don't want you here. This is someone else who's helping refugees. But because he was a believer and because he was working with foreigners, he was labeled an undesirable. Carlos went back home and told his wife what had happened, but he decided to keep working. And a couple days later, another person came up to him and said, I know you. You're a Christian. We don't want you here. Knowing that he and his family were in danger, they sold their car, took all the money that they had, and began to make their way to Jordan. And I met with Dr. Adoud in Jordan, he and his wife, living as refugees, small, small apartment, living off of what the church in Jordan is able to give them to help them. See, the persecution that these people are facing is very real, and yet they will not deny their faith in Jesus Christ. The next one, Pastor Jack. Pastor Jack is the man in the, the vest, sweater vest. Um, that's his wife and his two daughters. The man, the tall man in the middle is not related to them. 
he was a friend of theirs. Um, but Jack has been, has been an evangelist in Cairo for many years, more than 20 years. He leads multiple small house churches. He shares the gospel wherever he can. Jack has been brought in by the government for interrogation. He has been pursued and run off the road multiple times, had his car totaled. He has been beaten by groups that are opposed to him sharing his faith. And yet Pastor Jack continues to go day after day, church after church, sharing what God lays on his heart. Just so you get an idea of the fear that these people have, the, the, I shouldn't say the fear, the life that these people live. On the far end is Patty. Patty has to take a taxi day in and day out to work. And she is afraid every time she gets into a taxi that she will not be brought to where she wants to go. She still wears a cross around her neck. She still proclaims Jesus Christ. But there's that constant wondering if today will be the day that someone does something to them. Over the last four weeks, we have stories of four different women who have disappeared. We believe kidnapped. They were all Christian. One was going to buy train tickets, never made it to the train station. Another was videotaped by an outdoor camera in front of a video store where she was grabbed and hauled into a car. Four different people in the last few weeks that have been snatched and probably will never be seen again because they are believers. Pray for Jack and his family in Egypt, please. Finally, Brother Saeed, Brother S, <laughs> the smiley, well, they're both smiling. The one on uh, this side, on the right side. Saeed is from Morocco, and he has a passion for Jesus Christ that I wish I had every day in my life. He is always smiling. He is always traveling to another believer's home, community, church, wherever, so that he can encourage them. He makes minimal for money. He, he has support from, I believe, in Canada and maybe down in Texas, two people that send him money, that he has about $800 a month that comes in, 500 of which he gives to his mother because he lives with her. The other 300 he uses for travel and to distribute to other believers that he wants to encourage. Brother S. not only travels within his country, Morocco, which is 100% Islam, according to the government. He also travels to other countries to encourage believers. I traveled with him to Mauritania, which is, you'll have to look at where it is, but it's part of the Sahara Desert. Very Arabic culture, very um, desert culture. Saeed from Morocco, which is a country not far away, was, was surprised at what we saw in Mauritania. The believers there recently 
had a law passed in their country that said if you convert from Islam to Christianity, you will be executed. No trial. No second chance. You will be executed. And if you try to convert someone from Islam to Christianity, you will be executed. The humanitarian organizations around the world said to Mauritania, why would you pass a law like that now, today? Thought we were beyond this. And the parliament in Mauritania said, well, really, it's just symbolic. <laughs> really, what it does is gives the people who live in Mauritania the right to kill a Christian. Pray for Brother S in Morocco. Pray for the believers in Mauritania. They're not sure how this is going to affect them yet. We can pray. They asked basically for two things. They asked that we bring them Bibles so that they can have the word of God. And they asked that we pray, that we not forget them, that we follow Hebrews 13.3 that says, remember those who are in prison as if in prison with them, and those who are suffering since you also are a part of the body of Christ. These are our brothers and sisters, and we can pray for them. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would continue to stir in my heart a passion for the body of Christ, for these believers who are living out their faith in areas where it is difficult, knowing that 75% of the world does not have religious freedom, knowing that many are living in fear, of being tortured, of being humiliated, of being crucified or killed for their faith. Heavenly Father, give them the strength to stand up strong in their faith. Give them the power, filling of the Holy Spirit to be able to face their tormentors knowing that Jesus Christ is right there with them. Heavenly Father, even though they don't ask for it, I do ask that you would ease the burden of persecution on the world. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Continue to pour out your blessing on them. In your precious holy name, amen.